our yard in Texas was infested with fire ants and grass birds. Uh, fire ants, if you've ever been in that part of the country, they are an appropriately named little bitty red ant. They look so small and kind of harmless, but they are anything but. They will all crawl up on you, and I don't know how they get the word around to all the other ants, but they all start biting at the same time, and it feels just like your skin is on fire. They are nasty little creatures. In addition, when springtime was coming, like it is here, we would have popping up all over the yard grass burrs. We call them stickers, little uh, nuisance weeds that have seeds with little spikes coming out of them. So every time you walk to the yard, they stick in your shoes, they stick in the cuff of your pants, they stick in your socks, and they stick all over your shoelaces. And it means that every little critter, little squirrel or mouse or whatever runs through your yard, it gets those in its fur and just brings them right into your yard. So by springtime, you have a whole brand new crop of them. Dealing with the fire ants and grass birds was a constant problem. You never really got rid of them. You just kind of kept them at bay. Our yard was a metaphor for life. Until the Lord returns or or takes us home, there's always going to be fire ants and grass burrs in your life. It was true for the psalmist. He had those minor irritations and he had those difficult attacks as well. And in verses 21 and 22 and following, the psalmist describes how he has learned to deal with what he calls the proud and arrogant who attack him because of his belief in God. How do we deal with those who speak hurtful words against us, especially those who speak hurtful words because of our faith in Jesus Christ? Here's how the psalmist responds in verse 21 as he describes the Lord. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Remove me or remove from me scorn and contempt for I keep your statutes. How do you handle the fire ants and grass birds of your life? The psalmist handled those irritations the same way he handled everything else. He gave them to God. Now, unfortunately, that goes against our human instinct, especially when someone attacks us. When we're attacked, and especially when somebody verbally attacks us, our immediate instinct is to strike back with the same. But let's explore how the psalmist learned to react and why he reacted the way that he did. First of all, he learned to realize that God is still in control. Now, all of us know what it's like to be attacked. We've all been on the wrong end of hurtful criticism. We've all been bullied. We know what that looks like. Most of us at some point as believers, we've been attacked because of our faith. Someone's made fun of us. Someone's snickered behind our back or or maybe right to our face. They've told us what they thought about our belief. 
We know what that's like. The problem is we're so familiar with being bullied that sometimes we're tempted to emulate the bully. It often looks like they get what they want. And so we think, well, if I just do that, I'll get what I want. The psalmist realized there was a serious flaw to that kind of thought. Because it forgets something. In fact, it forgets the most important detail. God's going to take care of it. And that's what he says. He says, Lord, you rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. And the psalmist here has been attacked. We don't know exactly uh, what that attack was. There's some clues in the verses that follow that we'll look at in just a moment. But we don't know exactly what's going on here. At some point, the psalmist has been attacked because of his belief, because of his following the Lord. In some way, he has been verbally abused because of his faith. But instead of beginning with the problem, he starts with the solution. This one simple step is a wonderful example to follow when you face attack in life. We spend so much time, especially when we're being attacked, uh, of focusing on the problem. We replay that attack in our mind over and over again. We hear those words in our thoughts over and over again. What if, instead of spending all that time and energy focused on the problem, we focused on the solution instead? Now, obviously, to solve the problem, you've got to know what the problem is. But most of the time, the root of the problem is pretty obvious. It was for the psalmist. He realized the reason he was being attacked because of his belief was because he lived in a world where people didn't know God. Sound familiar? I think most of us realize that's exactly the kind of world we live in today. But instead of starting with the problem, instead of seeing all of the evil and all of the sinfulness and all of the attacks against our faith, the psalmist starts at the solution. That God's going to take care of this. God will rebuke the arrogant. The word that he uses for arrogant, it's a word that means proud or, or overbearing. And the Bible over and over again identifies pride as a root for sin. In fact, you remember the little towns of Sodom and Gomorrah? Little resort communities out there? Yeah, they had some problems going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, you just think of any kind of evil thing that you can imagine it was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. But what does the Bible identify as the greatest sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, in Ezekiel chapter 16, the Bible identifies the biggest problem in Sodom and Gomorrah was pride. Proverbs identifies pride as the road to destruction. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, the psalmist realized that. And he was willing 
to turn it over to God. All those who are attacking Him, to just give it to the Lord. And he acknowledges that God's going to take care of it. As Peter would later write, quoting from Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Online shopping services have become more and more proactive in reminding you that whatever it is you ordered is on the way. When you go online and you order something, you will immediately receive a confirmation email that that they received your order, and it's on its way. And then maybe a day or so later, you'll receive another confirmation email that the warehouse has received your order and they've shipped your product. It's on its way. And then you'll receive another email that will confirm that, yes, your product is on the delivery truck. It's on its way. And then you'll receive another confirmation email when that item has been delivered. Now, why do companies go through all of that effort and all of that bother to confirm to you that the product that you ordered is, in fact, going to show up on your doorstep? Well, because they know how forgetful we are. We forget what it was we ordered, when we ordered it, and when it's supposed to arrive. And so that's when we call the customer service line and we complain, why hasn't that showed up yet? And, and, and they know that, so they remind us repeatedly over and over again, don't worry, it's on the way. Psalm 119.21 gives us that same kind of confirmation, that same reminder that's far more significant than when your new Bluetooth speaker is going to arrive. The Bible reminds us over and over and over again, God is in control. He always has been. He's in control right now. He will be in control tomorrow and for all the tomorrows to come, even when the tomorrows have ended, God will still be in control. That will never change. And it does not change when you are under attack. Now, admittedly, it is hard to remember when you are under attack, especially in those times when you're under attack for your faith, when somebody at your workplace is making fun of your faith or maybe even punishing you for your faith or, or when a friend turns against you because of your belief in Christ or, or when something happens to you because of your faith in the Lord that, that creates a difficulty in your life. It's hard to remember in those moments that, yes, God is still in control. Sometimes we look out in the world and we see evil all around us. It just seems like there is sin everywhere you look. And sometimes when that happens, when we look out there in a world that is just awash in rebellion against God, it's hard for us to remember, yes, God is still in control. But just because we don't remember it doesn't make it any less true. Just because it's dark at night, doesn't mean that the sun's not going to come up in the morning. Just because it's cold in December or sometimes in March doesn't mean that it's not going to be hot in July. 
Just because you forgot your anniversary doesn't mean that it isn't your anniversary, something every husband learns on his first anniversary. The psalmist does not want to forget. He's going through a difficult time. He's going through a hard experience. He's under attack, but he doesn't want to remember, so he reminds himself. He sends himself a confirmation email that God is still in control. The arrogant and the prideful, they do not win. So how does the psalmist maintain that kind of outlook when his life apparently is taking a nosedive, when things are not going his way, when he's under attack, when people are hurting him? How does he keep this positive outlook to know, hey, it doesn't change the fact that my God is still in control? How does he remember that? Well, he goes back to the book. In this passage... The psalmist provides three things. He provides a request, a reminder, and a result. Let's look at those three things real quickly this morning. First, the request, verse 22, remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Now, notice here, the psalmist is not saying, hey, these people that are attacking me, they're being so scornful. Just take that away from them, Lord. Make them nicer. Make them act right. Well, they should, but that's not what the psalmist prays. The psalmist says, take from me scorn and contempt. And we know what he's talking about. Hey, when we're getting attacked, our instinct is to respond with the same. They insult us, we're going to insult them even more. Just read a Facebook feed. (laughs) It just spirals out of control. And so the the psalmist gives this request to God. God, take from me any scorn, any contempt. For no matter what they do, no matter what they say, I'm going to keep your statutes. I'm going to follow your word. So God, just take all the contempt, all the scorn. Get it out of my life. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to speak that way. I don't want to be seen that way. Just take that away from me. Help me trust you. So that's his request. It's followed by a reminder. Verse 23. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Apparently the attack that the psalmist was under was was coming from some high places. Some rulers. People who should have known better had unjustly accused him. But the psalmist is reminded that even those earthly powers, they don't have the final word. And so he focuses on the one who does have the final word. He reminds himself of God's commands and promises. He says, I will meditate on your decrees. So as a request, God, take any scorn and contempt. Just get that away from me. That's not the way I want to live. I don't want to be like that. And then God, remind me. Help me remember your word, your command, your decrees. And then finally, he looks forward to the result. Verse 24, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. It might have been hard for him to see in his current situation, but the psalmist knew what was ahead. God's Word would guide him. He knew it. 
In the, in the pages of Scripture, he would find wise counsel. He would find hope. He would find contentment that even the most powerful in the world could not stop. Psalmist realized his strength did not come from physical power. It didn't come from wealth. It didn't come from riches. His strength came from God. Okay, so let's review. Psalmist gives us some wonderful counsel in this verse. When we're under attack, when we're facing difficulty in life, first of all, stop wasting time on the problem. Start investing time in the solution. Stop looking at the evil. Start looking at Jesus. Second, the best way to remember, to remind yourself that God is in control. Now, we all know that, right? That's why we're here this morning. We're worshiping God. We know God's in control. I bet if we went through this entire room, we would have an overwhelming majority who would say, yes, God is in control. But sometimes we forget that. So how do we remind ourselves of it? Well, the way you remind yourself of it is by immersing yourself in God's Word. Just let His Scripture pour over you. Or to put it another way, make a point to know more about the Bible than you do about your problem. Because, like we mentioned a moment ago, so often we just replay that attack in our mind. It happens. It's a horrible experience. We go through it, and then we go through it again and again and again and again as we just keep thinking about it, and it keeps bothering us, and we keep getting upset about it, and then we think about it again. Stop that train. And the way to do it is by letting God's Word just flood through your life and clean out all of that stuff. Stop wasting time on the problem. Start investing time in the solution. The best way to remember God's in control is by immersing yourself in His Word. And then finally, build your life around requesting God's wisdom. Seek it earnestly. Seek it faithfully. Seek it every moment you're awake. God, give me wisdom. Remind yourself of God's promise. Send yourself a mental email every day. Yeah, God's still in control. He's got this. It's going to be all right. I know how this all works out. Remind yourself again and again that God is in control. And finally, look forward to the result. We know where this is headed. We know Satan doesn't win. We know who will one day and forever. Be seated on the throne. Well, the past several weeks, I've challenged you to think about one thing that you could do that would, would help move you uh, in your uh, walk with God. One next step that you could take. We've talked about a lot, a lot of things. One of the things as we focus on God, we're going to focus on the things that He wants, the things that He cares about, the things that, that, that excite Him. And, and the thing that excites God most is people coming to Jesus. That's what he wants so much for his creation. They're separated from him, and he doesn't want that separation, so he's made the way for them to come back to him. And so one of the things we can do is find some ways that we can bring those people back to the Lord. Uh, the sun's shining today. It's a little cold outside, but sun's shining today. Which one of the things that means is there's lots of youth sports leagues that are getting in gear. 
they kind of don't stop anymore. But, but in the springtime, there's lots of stuff happening, baseball teams and softball, soccer, all kinds of stuff going on. So many of you go to your children's games or your grandchildren's games, and you sit up there in the bleachers and you watch everything that's going on out there, and you cheer and clap and all that good stuff. Why not just take one little extra step? And you actually probably do this. You, you probably kind of, you know, the game kind of moving a little slow. <laughs> so you kind of start chatting with the folks there in the bleachers with you, the other moms and dads, the grandmas and granddads that are out there watching the, the game. Just get to know them. And, and as you're doing that, have a prayer in your mind. God, help me to see those who are far from you. Just just help me to sense that, Lord. Help me to, to know that, that this family's not a part of your family yet. And then be looking for opportunities to, to invite them to come and be part of our worship services. We've got Easter right around the corner. We've got Easter egg hunt coming up. Other opportunities that families can come. Just during the course of the game, just you know, drop a little sentence in there saying, hey, you know, we're having a great Easter service coming up here April 21st. Come, come bring your family. We'd love to have you. It's going to be a great, great time. We'd love to have you come worship with us. You never know what the Lord might do with that. Watch for those opportunities. Instead of focusing on our problems, which that's what happens so much when you're at these games, folks just start complaining about whatever they want to complain about, you know, politics or the weather or whatever they want to bring up. But instead of focusing on that, focus on Jesus. Heavenly Father, it's so easy to focus on the problem because we got lots of problems. <laughs> Every person in here could identify some things that are going wrong in their life. Because we all have them. We all have those people that speak ill of us. We have those situations that rub us the wrong way. And then we have those major issues that come into life as well. Everybody in here has them, Lord. And it's so easy to get focused on that. To replay that situation over and over in our minds. So, so God, if we don't get anything else out of these passages this morning, help us not to focus on the problem but rather to focus on You. You're the solution. You're what we need. You're what the people who are attacking us need. So God, help us to focus on You. Help us to find ways to let Your Word wash over us, to cleanse out all the negativity and the hurt and heartache. God, remind us of Your faithfulness that You are in control. And help us to look forward to the result, Lord. You win. Help us to rejoice in that marvelous truth. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.